0: Find a moment of calm at Classical WETA 90.9 FM, available to stream now at ClassicalWETA.org or on the Classical WETA app.
1: Welcome to Episode 33 of How We Win,
2: All over the country, people are staying home, staying safe, and doing extraordinary things. We're giving you the tools that you need to make a difference right now, right from your living room.
1: The best antidote to anxiety is what? Action. We need your help, and we're gonna get through this together.
2: Today, you're gonna hear from voting rights expert, Ari Berman. We're gonna talk about the incredible outcome of the Wisconsin election, voting during a pandemic, and what we've gotta keep an eye out for in November
1: plus swing left volunteers had a huge impact on the Wisconsin election volunteers from all over the country in fact we're going to talk about it and tell you how you can join us this week for the how we win letter writing party
2: I'm Steve Pearson
1: and I'm Mariah Craven and,
2: and this, this is, is how, how we
1: win, win. He doing, Steve? How are you and your family?
2: Oh, we're good. Lucy is uh, back to school this week doing her virtual classrooms, Zoom classrooms and at-home learning. She's a junior in high school. It is uh, challenging, but um, in some cases she doesn't miss having to, you know, face the social scene at her high school. So, um, you know, there's there's pluses and minuses, mostly minuses, but We're working it. How about you?
1: I'm good. I really appreciate the social pressure being off as well. So I'm right there with her. You know, uh, (laughs) one of the things that I've loved seeing on my social media feeds this week is people... Uh, posting their high school graduation photos in solidarity with uh, this year's high school graduates who aren't going to have graduation ceremonies. Um, hmm. I think it's really cool. For some people, it's like a little bit like, here's how I used to look. <laughs> but it's it's <laughs> it's, a fun, it's a fun idea to acknowledge uh, that this is a really tricky time for high school seniors who for four, three, three and almost four years were Hearing about you know what an amazing time they were going to have and and now they're sitting at home on on Zooms.
2: Yeah, you know, don't know what to say about it. We're we're going to get through it, you know, a day at a time, a week at a time, but we're going to do it together. And um, it's it's been cool seeing people come together in this moment, and, and that's what moments of crisis really do is they um they show us who we really are as, as humans. And um and I've been proud of my community.
1: Oh that's such a nice sentiment. Yeah, we are really all kind of coming together and uh and looking out for each other more often than not and and that's a I guess a, a positive to take away from gosh what a challenging time. Yeah. Should we talk about the the big news this week which is that
2: what news is that? What's the big news <laughs> of the week?
1: So (laughs) much. Donald Trump has declared himself king. No, the big news, (laughs) the big news is that all powerful (laughs) is that um, in, in, you know, as Donald Trump continues his his ranting and raving, Democrats have come together around a single presidential candidate. And that is Joe Biden, who got endorsements from Bernie Sanders and Barack Obama this week.
2: Right. We have a presumptive Democratic nominee now. And um, boy, I I have to say, I'm excited to have the primary over with. It really feels like the right time. I mean, we're going through enough as a country dealing with the coronavirus. um, But I also want to say how much I appreciate all of the candidates who have run for president this cycle. It's been the most diverse field that I can remember. In, in my lifetime, there's been some great dialogues. I appreciate everything that Bernie Sanders has done for the Democratic mm-hmm. Party in the last uh, couple of cycles. And um, we've had some great progressive candidates. Um, we've had some great conversations about the ways to get to what you know we universally think as Democrats is, is our common goal in health care for everybody, and which is <laughs> so stark right now, right. you know, um and important, especially in, in the context of this pandemic. So we have a nominee and um and he may or may not be everyone's first choice coming through this. But um there's a recent poll that already eighty six percent of Democrats polled said they will vote for Biden over Trump. And that I, I think uh, as we coalesce uh, around our candidate will get even higher. So I'm I'm glad to be through the primaries.
1: Well, let's let's back up a little bit, because, yes, we have a um, presidential like a Democratic presidential candidate. But for those states that still have primary elections, there are still down ballot races. Um, So we want to make sure that people get out and vote for those down ballot races, which I think one of the many things this pandemic has shown us is that it's the people who aren't at the federal level who are having the biggest impact on our lives right now. And, you know, this just reinforces something that Mariah Craven has always said, <laughs> which is that <laughs> if you want to have a the, the biggest impact on, on your community, vote down ballot because, yes, the federal folks you have. You always say that. I do always say that, The federal folks have a lot of power, but the real uh, day-to-day impact on your lives on which hospitals are open, on what relief that you get from the county and the city, that comes from those down-ballot folks.
2: Absolutely. And we're going to talk a lot about Wisconsin because, uh, by by the way, congratulations, everyone who worked on that Wisconsin Supreme Court race. Uh, We won. We had an an amazing amount of people volunteering, making phone calls, writing letters for that race in Wisconsin. Just absolutely insane circumstances around that election. Uh, We've done like three podcasts about wisconsin coming up to this we had former senator russ feingold on Mm -hmm. we had ben wickler the uh, chair of the democratic party we had uh, in wisconsin we had um jared our organizer there that's right um and and we talked about it for good reason because it's a very important state and and this election had big national consequences we're not going to get too far into it because we talk with Ari Berman later and we get uh, way into Wisconsin and what it means and his takeaways. Um, it's a great interview. But I, I will say to your point about the importance of investing in these local elections, you have on the one hand Wisconsin that is uh, a Republican uh, majority that you know, you've got terribly gerrymandered districts right. and all the voter suppression and voter ID laws and ult- ultimately uh, risking people's lives to vote. The flip side of that literally uh, – Pun intended. When I say flip, is uh, in Virginia, we just had some uh, election reforms going through the governor in Virginia, making Election Day a na- a holiday in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Like like that has to happen everywhere. Yeah, huge. Um, vote by mail for the entire state, extended. Uh, Early voting, where you can vote, you have more time yes. to vote in
1: person, which means the lines are much shorter, and you have you can have more distance between
2: voters. Exactly, all of those things that the CDC recommends that we're going to talk about more with Ari, but that's a direct consequence of us working hard to flip those local legislatures and get the trifecta in Virginia. Last week we talked about the ERA, and they were the last state to last state needed to ratify that. So, to your Excellent point. You always say it. Mariah Craven always says local elections are where it's at.
1: Down ballot, she- where it's at.
2: <laughs> <laughs> She's right. Listen to Mariah.
1: Um let's talk a little bit about uh cuz cuz what you're talking about is, you know, inc- like places where voters were really dedicated to getting out on or before election day and also places where a lot of volunteers from around the country really focus their efforts, and I, I want to talk about how that is kind of hard to do right now. It feels it feels a little tough for volunteers to reach out to voters, especially by phone right now. Is that is that what you're hearing too?
2: Well, um, it's a challenging time, and um, I'll say these are. Rough numbers. We don't have the official count yet as we're recording this. Mm -hmm. Um, So don't hold me to these numbers. But uh, in Wisconsin, it's looking like Wisconsin swing left uh, volunteers made um, around 60,000 phone calls into Wisconsin and wrote um, about 65,000 letters to voters in Wisconsin. A remarkable amount of engagement, and so volunteers are doing that work. But it is a challenging time. And, and Mariah, you're working with Sea Change. You're working on local elections in uh, Los Angeles right now. We have one coming up on in uh, early May mm-hmm. um, to hold on to this congressional seat in CA twenty-five. What's your experience around voter engagement right now?
1: Well, I think that um, we're going to talk about this in a, in a few minutes with Ari too. But you know, voters are at home right now. Um so it's a prime time to call them and I think what I have uh volunteers who are telling me like I really want to help and I know how important this election that we have coming up in May is um but I'm worried about calling somebody who's out of work right now their family might be hungry their kids have been at home all day and they maybe haven't paid rent and you know I just want to tell people that is the absolute right instinct to have That you feel for the people that you're reaching out to. And that's why we're calling them. And that's where the phone call starts. So if you are phone banking at this point in time, whether it's for um, a special election coming up or a primary or even going into November, no matter what your script says, you start with asking people how they are and how their families are doing. And then you listen. And that is your entry into a conversation that somebody might really need. Um, and then, you know, after you talk to them about what's going on, you can remind them that it is really important, even with all that they're going through, for them to plan to vote. Because, uh, like we said, the the people that we've elected at the top aren't doing a whole hell of a lot for us right now. In fact, they're doing more harm than good in some cases. Um, so it's yes. really important for voters to replace them so we get some relief and we don't have to go through this again.
2: And it's great advice you know maybe have some resources uh, at the ready a lot of campaigns are doing this already with their phone banks mm-hmm. where they have some resources for people that need them uh, who are affected by this pandemic we're all affected by it but whatever degree but um you know maybe pull some local resources for people when you're making phone calls and um and you can offer that up too so um
1: yeah what i've kind of great- been hearing for, from from voters is you know the biggest concern is around the stimulus checks Um, which started going out this weekend um, and will continue going out for the next month. So if they have direct deposit, they might have already received it, but uh, checks are going to be in the mail in the coming weeks as well. But you can always direct people to irs.gov for um, information about the stimulus payments and also if they need to update their banking information. Obviously, we're also hearing from people who have lost their jobs. And just a reminder that unemployment benefits are state by state so they're going to need to talk to their state level unemployment bureau about that and you know the the lines to talk to somebody are really long for that they got to stick with it they need to be persistent and then you can visit auntbertha.com for uh, the closest food bank in your community and then just reminding people That there is a national moratorium on foreclosures right now, but the moratorium on evictions for renters varies community by community. And again, they need to be persistent and stick with um, making phone calls and writing emails to folks that they need help from because, you know, just because you don't have a return call or return email right away, don't stop. Everything's backed up. But we have to stick with it to make sure people are taken care of.
2: Some great resources. We'll put uh, AuntBertha.com on our site too for people to find food banks near them and be able to suggest that to other people as well. Thank you for all that, Mariah.
1: Thanks for letting me talk about that. I know people. <laughs> it, it just, uh, you know, p- I know people are so worried about each other right now, and so everything that yeah. we can do to help makes it makes a difference. So. Keep up the good work, everyone.
2: Yep. Yeah. And um, I already talked about one of my reasons for hope with the election reforms you know, going on in Virginia as a direct consequence of the great work that we did uh, and people listening to this podcast did last year in, in Virginia. We're going to talk about the takeaways from Wisconsin again. We won that Supreme Court seat, which is really important, the Wisconsin Supreme Court seat. Mm-hmm. We'll talk more about that with Ari. So um, let's get into action. Uh, we've got a party this Thursday, the 16th, a letter writing party that we're going to host. And, um, that's right. We need you to sign up if you haven't already. Download some letters from Vote Forward. We're going to write letters to voters. This is Thursday. We need you there. We need to see some faces on a Zoom, y'alls.
1: I can't wait for this. I'm so excited about it. What am I going to wear? I don't know. This is the first time (laughs) I'm not going to be in sweats, probably.
2: Wear your big poppy jersey.
1: (laughs) I'm wearing a Dodgers jersey.
2: (laughs) So... Sign up for the party, write some letters. And if you can't be at our party, it'll make us sad, but sign up to write some letters. We're, uh, Swing Left is doing these like three or four times a week. So there's lots of opportunities for you to meet some volunteers from all over the country and you know, uh, do some good work from your living room.
1: The other parties won't be as fun, but I guess you they can won't. do them.
2: They'll be productive, but less fun.
1: I like that. Also, don't forget to tell your friends to subscribe to this very podcast we should have a party happening every week via the podcast and we uh we need your people to do that so reach out to how many people should they reach out to three three people i like that number three is doable i'm gonna i'm gonna reach out to three people today and remind them to subscribe to this very podcast
2: i am too and uh, remember that we are still building our capacity for November, mm-hmm. and um, whatever that's going to look like, whether you know we're back knocking on doors or if we're doing more digital organizing, we need these tools to drive more people into action. And this podcast is one of them. So please help us continue to build this this tool we have to drive people into this work.
1: Let's get to the interview now with Ari Berman.
2: Ari Berman is a senior reporter at Mother Jones covering voting rights. He's the author of Give Us the Ballot, the Modern Struggle for Voting Rights in America. Ari, right, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us.
0: Hey, Steve. Hey, Mariah. Good to talk to you guys.
2: So I've been wanting to uh, have you on to talk about voting rights for a long time since we started doing this podcast. And this seems like, I mean, there's always a moment to talk about it, but right now, oh, post-Wisconsin, wisconsin yeah and all the tomfoolery that didn't seem to work out for the GOP in Wisconsin. We have a lot to add to the conversation. So let's let's start there. What are your takeaways? I know you have a lot from what happened in Wisconsin.
0: I mean, the first takeaway, which I think should be the enduring one, was just how shameful it was to make people vote in such conditions, yeah. to force thousands of people to choose between uh, their ballot and their health. And even though it seems like some voters were able to overcome that, that doesn't make it right in the first place. Uh, and there also, we have to assume, were thousands of people that weren't able to overcome the suppression, mm-hmm. uh, that were afraid to vote in person, or couldn't get an absentee ballot, or didn't get their absentee ballot in time, or their absentee ballot was rejected. Now, luckily, it wasn't a close election, because if this was an election that was decided by 5,000 votes, we would have been paying very close attention to how many people were disenfranchised and whether that had some outcome on the margins but no matter what the outcome was in wisconsin uh, it was a textbook example of how not to hold an election mm-hmm. in a state that's already had a lot of problems holding elections by the way this wasn't the first election in wisconsin that was marred by voter suppression it was just the most dramatic one because uh, everyone was stuck at home <laughs> paying attention to it. Right. Uh, with, and so it was this sort of singular political event where there weren't any other primaries. Nobody could leave their houses. Uh, and so it became this really riveting, dramatic story. Um, but I've seen, not during a pandemic, but in other occasions, sort of dozens of mini-Wisconsins um, during my reporting on voting rights.
1: The fight to delay versus hold the election on time last week went all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States. Did their decisions
0: surprise you? It surprised me a little bit, only in the sense that I thought the Supreme Court would make at least some accommodation mm-hmm. for the fact that this was an extraordinary circumstance, that voters were in, in a pandemic And there was an unprecedented number of absentee ballot requests, so it was going to be natural that some voters weren't going to get their ballots in time because election clerks were swamped. And I thought the courts would give voters more time to return their ballots because Mm -hmm. the Seventh Circuit, the lower court, was a conservative court. And that court said it was fine to give voters an extra week to send back their ballot. So Mm -hmm. I was a little surprised in the sense – I always expect the worst from the Supreme Court. So in some cases, I'm not (laughs) surprised. But I was a little surprised given both the fact that they were overruling a lower conservative court and also the fact that it was this extraordinary situation, an unprecedented situation, where Wisconsin was really the only state. To hold a primary in the middle of a national pandemic. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I thought that the justice would say, you know, yeah, you know, we don't want to press, we don't want to set a precedent of giving voters an extra week to return ballots. We don't like that. That's not the letter of the law, but we're going to do it because of the extraordinary circumstance. There was none of that. And what Ruth Bader Ginsburg said in her dissent was that Basically, the refusal to acknowledge reality, to treat this like a normal situation instead of an extraordinary situation, was going to lead to the disenfranchisement of tens of thousands of people. And it sets a very worrisome precedent, because I don't think a November election is going to be a normal election mm-hmm. in the way that we think about normal elections. And so that the Supreme Court, um, aside from their ideology, doesn't make any sort of adjustments for the reality that voters and election officials are facing on the ground, I think a lot of people could just be disenfranchised by technicalities.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. And we've been talking a lot about vote by mail. I know you, you do as well. Um, we're trying to get uh, in the next stimulus package. The Democrats are trying to get voter reform into the next stimulus package, money for the states to implement vote by mail, extending the period of elections, all that, all that stuff that we need to do. First of all, what does the precedent that the Supreme Court case just uh, made, uh, how does that affect that? And what are our chances of actually getting that passed through the House right now?
0: I mean, I don't, know, I don't know what precedent the, um, the Supreme Court decision really will set other than the fact that if there's a disputed uh, – if there's an election dispute between Republicans and Democrats, the courts probably likely decide with Republicans. I think we already mm-hmm. knew that, yeah. um, but that's probably magnified by the situation and the idea that the Supreme Court is somehow going to act differently because of this extraordinary situation, I wouldn't necessarily assume that. I would assume that because of a mixture of partisanship and ideology, they're going to side with the Republicans more often than not. And there's going to be more of these cases coming to the courts than before, because there's going to be a much bigger fight around the rules of the election, simply because so many people can't leave their homes and normal rules don't apply. So we don't know if there's going to be big voter Registration drives in November. We don't know if there's going to be get up big get out the vote drives in November. We don't know if there's going to be souls to the polls in November. All of these things, and so voters need a lot more assistance than they than they did in the past. And the rules of how elections are conducted are more important than ever because there's really um, no adjustments to help voters get around this other than trying to mail everyone a ballot. So it's interesting. I, I think you know basically what happened in the first recovery bill, uh, Democrats were able to get $400 million um, to help states, which I think was a good first step, but everyone admitted was insufficient. And so now what Elizabeth Warren and others are saying is they need $4 billion. Mm -hmm. um, And they also need to put some actual uh, directives the states, saying to the states, um, you need to adopt universal vote by mail. You need to adopt 30 days of early voting. You need to stop voter purging. You need to stop requiring IDs being included with absentee ballots, things that are going to disenfranchise voters. Mm -hmm. Congress actually has the power to set those rules for federal elections. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I don't think Mitch McConnell would agree to that. I don't think Donald Trump would agree to that. But Congress actually has the power. And if I'm Democrats, I start with a very, very firm hand that we want all of this stuff. And negotiate from that point of view as opposed to saying, here's what we're willing to trade away. Mm-hmm. Um, because if all the Congress does is give states four hundred million dollars to try to adopt vote by mail, that's gonna be that's gonna be wildly inefficient.
2: Yeah
1: hand in hand with that as we're as we're watching Trump and some of the conservatives push back on on all of this um, I think that people are also hearing on their you know zoom happy hours and things like that their friends and family <laughs> worrying that Trump and the Republicans might try to delay the general election in November is that even a possibility
0: that is one thing I'm less concerned about because um, Donald Trump doesn't have the power to unilaterally postpone the election despite Despite what he said uh, a few days ago (laughs) yeah despite his his idea that if you if you're the president you can do whatever you want which is sort of reminiscent of of his uh famous axis hollywood tape where you know he basically said right uh, if, if you're famous you can do it um but but Only Congress can change the date of the election. And so that would mean Nancy Pelosi and House Democrats would have to go along with it, which means it would have to be a true national emergency where there was true bipartisan agreement to postpone the election date. Say, for example, we had another round of coronavirus that was even worse than this one. Mm-hmm. And there was no attempt to be able to mail everyone ballots or to get everyone to vote by mail, and it was just impossible for people to vote in person. I think it would be some something like that situation where they would move it back, but I don't think it would be Donald Trump unilaterally doing it. That's not. That's not. That's of all the things that worry me. That's pretty much at the bottom of my list of concerns right now.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, then what's at the top of your concerns? Let's go to the dark place.
0: The top mm-hmm. of my concerns is that we're going to have very unequal access to the ballot that some states are going to take very affirmative decisions to vote by mail but other states are going to do almost nothing to help people vote by mail or they're going to create the rules so that some people are able to vote by mail, but not others. For example, Republicans Mm -hmm. are advocating that they want to mail a ballot to everyone over 65. Well, I think that's great. I I would love to mail a ballot to everyone over 65. I would also like to mail a ballot to everyone under 65. So (laughs) that's the kind of thing that you start to see here. And some of those rules are already in place. When Republicans passed voter ID laws in North Carolina and Texas saying you have to show government issued ID to vote, they exempted absentee ballots from that requirement, because they knew that elderly uh, white voters were more likely to vote Republican, and they didn't want to subject them to possible disenfranchisement. Um, So that's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned that there is going to be real unequal access to the ballot both between states and potentially within states. Mm -hmm. And I really hope that we don't learn the wrong lesson from Wisconsin, which is that voter suppression doesn't matter. Um, Just because your preferred candidate wins doesn't mean that people weren't disenfranchised and doesn't mean that it was wrong in the first place and doesn't mean that it will set a dangerous precedent. the other thing I'm concerned about is actually vote by mail was a pretty bipartisan thing for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, Republicans and Democrats have used it in pretty much equal numbers. Uh, it's not clear that it advantages one party over the other. In fact, Republicans right. have aggressively pushed by vote by mail in Florida and are probably better at doing it. And An all-male election would probably actually favor Republicans over Democrats. But I'm concerned that Donald Trump is poisoning the well and mm-hmm. he's trying to influence a Republican secretaries of state that are currently making good faith efforts in states like Iowa and Georgia to get ballots in the hands of voters and saying to those Republican states need to back down uh, for November. And so I'm worried that even if within the Republican Party, this is going to become even more politicized than it was before. And just simple common sense things like if you can't leave your house, you should be able to vote by mail. I And mean, that, that's the number one recommendation of the CDC is vote by mail in the pandemic. The second rec- recommendation is uh, early voting. So that there's you can social distance at the poll. There's not the long lines that we saw in places like Milwaukee. Um, mm-hmm. Those are two things that I think Republicans are now going to um, strenuously avoid uh, trying to do, and, and and that's what worries me right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, if it's coming from the scientists, then um, they're probably not going to listen.
0: Uh, that that unfortunately <laughs> seems to be how how things are going. But they they have he has been he has. Been forced to listen to the CDC in some in some cases. So um, I, I I know some election officials are listening to them. I know Republican elected officials in Ohio and in Georgia and in Iowa. Right. They have been right. acting very responsibly throughout this whole process. It's been the president and his allies in Congress that have been the ones that have been really trying to poison the well.
2: Yeah. And I wonder, like strategically, I, I, everyone is going to be looking over what happened in Wisconsin because this is our first sort of test case for voting in the midst of this pandemic. As you uh, mentioned, uh, voting by mail does not necessarily favor Democrats um, or Republicans. We really don't know. But, you know, it it certainly favors democracy. Uh, it certainly favors enfranchising everyone to have access to the ballot um trump saying that if you had vote by mail, then Republicans would never win another election uh, i don 't believe that 's true, and perhaps now looking uh as that di- dissect what happened in Wisconsin, maybe Republicans will start feeling the same way as well i don't i don 't know
0: well i mean the the idea that Republicans would never win a vote by mail election would come as a shock to Republicans in Utah. who hold every major elected office and vote largely by mail. So, I mean, that would come as a surprise to Mitt Romney um, and the Republican governor uh, and and all the other Republican elected officials uh, there. It would come as a surprise to the Republican Secretary of State in Oregon and the Republican Secretary of State in Washington, which are vote by mail states, which have elected Republicans to all levels of office. It would come as a surprise to Senator Cory Gardner of Colorado, who was elected in twenty fourteen in a vote by mail election, uh, it would come as surprise. Let's change to Republicans. that this time
2: around, just in that particular case.
0: <laughs> I mean, the honestly, I mean, the only reason Trump is opposing vote by mail is because Democrats are for it. Um, there is no empirical evidence that if right. you make vote by mail easier, it's going to help Democrats. Um, the, the the data shows that in vote by mail states, voter turnout is up. Um, about two to 4%. But the partisan effect is not clear at all, because there's a lot of elderly people that rely on vote by mail that are heavily um, Republican constituencies. And so um, I think Donald Trump, once again, is making an argument that's um, totally based on emotion and fear and, and not at all based on facts
2: shocking.
1: That's depressing. Um, can we talk about something slightly more positive? Um, how, the, the, how did you get into the, the voting rights beat and, and why did you stick with it and become like the go-to expert on it?
0: I honestly just kind of stumbled into it a long time ago. It's, it's been um, a decade now that I've been covering this. I feel, I feel old, but basically um, in, in 2011, after all of these really key states, um flipped from um blue to red, places like Ohio and Pennsylvania, um and, and North Carolina and Wisconsin. I noticed that all of these Republican legislatures were very swiftly passing nearly identical laws to make it harder to vote, things Mm. like strict voter ID laws or cutting early voting or making it harder to register to vote. And this was a thing at the time that wasn't getting a lot of attention. I think it's well understood now, but it really wasn't getting a lot of attention. And so um, I was at The Nation at the time, but I I pitched a story of Rolling Stone. And uh, I had a story that came out in August of 2011 called The GOP War on Voting. And that was really kind of my first major story about this. And it was really the first major national magazine article to look at how this was a concerted strategy of, by Republicans responding to Obama's election to try to change the electorate for their own benefit by changing the country's voted laws. And um, I thought I would really write um, one article and then I would just sort of go back to general politics. But I mean, more and more stuff started happening that got me interested in. Um, in in the topic i mean this was a big issue in 2012 and then what really sort of accelerated my interest was um in 2013 when the supreme court heard a challenge to the voting rights act and then Mm -hmm. subsequently ruled to weaken the voting rights act i became very interested in the history of voting rights and that's what led me to write my book give us the ballot about the history of voting rights since since the passage of the voting rights act because i realized there had been a lot of books written about what led to the passage of the Voting Rights Act, the Civil mm-hmm. Rights Movement, all, all of that. But there had been a lot less written about what happened 50 years after. And so I, I sort of approach it as a journalist, but also kind of as like an amateur historian. Um, and, and that got me a lot deeper into the topic.
2: It's a great book anyone listening, please read it. I read it about a year, year and a half ago and really loved it and learned so much. It's just, you're a great accessible writer for a subject that is just so pivotal to our democracy. And not for nothing, my dad worked in the um, Johnson administration. He came on right after the Voting Rights Act was passed. He wasn't there the whole time, but-
0: Oh, wow. What did um, he do there?
2: He was counsel to President Johnson.
0: A lot of stuff happened in the Johnson administration. It's amazing to see, I mean, both obviously the bad with Vietnam, but I think more and more people are looking at it, all the the incredible amount of good that was done, too, mm-hmm. um, with the, the Voting Rights Act and the Immigration Act of, of 1965 and the Fair Housing Act and yeah. um, and Medicaid. I mean, it's just sort of unbelievable um, how much stuff was was passed in such a short period of time.
2: He did a lot of great stuff and was very colorful character and my dad's got some great stories but that's for another <laughs> that's time. Yeah.
1: Um so it's a, a little bit of an unnerving time for anyone who's who's paying attention even for people who are not paying attention to be honest. Uh, feels like our elections have, have never been more uncertain and we're and we're heading into a pretty big one. Uh, is there anything that gives you hope as we look ahead to November?
0: I guess what I'm hoping is that what happened in Wisconsin will be a wake-up call about what not to do and also a testament to voters' ability to overcome obstacles that are put in their way and that the focus on the voting system will lead the voting system to become better and more accessible. And if what comes out of this is that more people are able to vote by mail and more people are, are given an opportunity to cast a ballot. And there's more time for people to vote in person and there's more early voting and there's more polling sites and we're more careful about how ballots are counted. Then all of that will be a good thing. And mm-hmm. so it, it's very well possible that, that, that all of the attention on the deficiencies in our electoral system will lead us to create an electoral system that works better for voters so that, that 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 is my hope um mm-hmm. but i think my worry is that we're running out of time to do this and that just like with the pandemic writ large not only do we have a lack of leadership at the federal level we have very negative leadership at the federal level that's mm-hmm. making it harder not easier to overcome these barriers and so i really think um the congress needs to get more involved here uh, I, I think they, they have a critical role to play Then i also think that voters need to interact with their local um, legislators, with their local secretaries of state, and see what they're doing. Because I think governors and secretaries of state are going to have an enormous amount of power um, during this process to to shape election laws. And I think they're going to be able to do things that maybe they wouldn't have been able to do in years past. We've already seen, for example, governors take executive orders to say, I'm going to change the rules of absentee ballots, or I'm going to change the way voters get their ballots. And I think it's, I think it's hardening. We're seeing that stuff in the primary, but there's also less at stake in the primaries. The primaries are basically over right now. And so, well, they actually are pretty much effectively over. Um, people are still voting, but we, we know that Joe Biden is going to be the Democratic nominee. And so I, I think the question is can this momentum go forward to November? Um, are things just going to break down among the usual partisan lines, or are enough people going to demand real change? that real enduring um, bipartisan solutions come out of this. That's what I'm, I'm hopeful about right now.
1: Have you yeah, heard yeah. of a, a, like a drop dead point in time where we're not going to be able to do a huge shift for November?
0: I mean, stay, I think it will depend on the state and how far a, along the state is. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, people are saying the next few months are going to be critical mm-hmm. um, because you know, in, in a lot of places, you know, early voting starts, um, you know, sometimes sometimes it might start 45 days before an election, right? Mm. Um, in a lot of states, voter registration is going to end uh, 30 days before the election. That's, that's the legal cutoff for voter registration. You can end voter registration on 30 days before an election, which I think is a completely insane requirement that should be yeah. changed. But nonetheless, um, you can do that. And so I, I think, the fall is too late to make major changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing is, just from a, a perspective of the voter, what happened in Wisconsin is extremely confusing for voters, where one court makes changes and another court changes those changes. And then the legislature and the governor are fighting over things. Um, that That is a recipe for voter confusion and voter disenfranchisement. And so I hope that the rules get set ahead of time, so, that if there are legal battles, those legal battles can be worked out and people can have certainty about what the law is. If it's a bad law, at least people know what the law is so they can try to maneuver around it. But if you have no idea what the law is, then you can't try to overcome it. That was one of the problems um, in Wisconsin. And, and we clearly saw in Wisconsin trying to do everything the week before the election is impossible. And so, I, I would say this from sort of now until I would say, you know, over the summer are going to be the critical times where if states are going to move in a serious way to doing vote by mail, which is the recommendation that that everyone says, uh, they're going to have to scale up dramatically. Because uh, like in Wisconsin, for example, uh, only 5% of people voted by mail in 2016. Now, the primary showed that a lot more people can vote by mail, but you're going to have dramatically higher turnout. In Wisconsin, I think I saw like voter turnout was something like 34% of people voted. Well, you're going to have 70 to 75% turnout probably mm. in, in, uh, in November. So you're going to have probably more than double the voter turnout in November that you had now, which is why I don't think we can extrapolate too many lessons from this Wisconsin election because there's going to be such a dramatically larger electorate come the fall.
2: So we'll we'll call our governors, we'll call our um, secretaries of state, anyone who gets their paws on elections, and and let them know that we want these CDC recommendations, um, and uh, and that's a good call to action for everyone listening to this. And also, you know, it it does boil down to turnout. At the end of the day, whatever the rules are, however they're trying to disenfranchise and cheat, which they are constantly doing, when we show up, we win. And um, you talked earlier about we don't know what our outreach is going to be like, if there's going to be souls to the polls, if we're going to be able to canvass, if we're going to be able to do the traditional organizing that we do around elections. But um, we're we're going to be reaching out to voters and we're going to be making our case. And um, so we need everyone to help us do that. So
0: And I will say, I mean, if people, hopefully the situation will be a lot better, people will be able to leave their homes. Mm -hmm, If they can't leave their homes, that's also an organizing opportunity because you know everybody is home. So you should be able to reach them. So I hope everyone's thinking about that too, that if you can't do traditional GOTV in terms of knocking on doors, um, can you call people? Um, Can you text people? You know, you're probably more likely to reach somebody. Um, than you were before. They might even be more likely to talk to you <laughs> because yeah. they're stuck at home with nobody to talk to you. So, I mean, this pandemic, as <laughs> is, is terrible as it is, does pre- present a, a, a different way to organize. that I think if people are smart, they're going to try to take advantage of and hopefully get participation up, not down.
2: Yeah, but phone banking has been uh, has been a lot more fun than it usually is yeah. um, just because people are answering their phones. And we can also do some community service and make sure that people right. are okay and have resources that they need connected to the phone banking. We could go on and on talking about this. Um, I encourage everyone to read your book. Give us the ballot, The Modern Struggle for Voting Rights in America. Uh, follow – what's your Twitter handle? Uh, at Ari Berg. At Ari Berman. That's easy enough. Follow Ari on Twitter. This was such a
1: great conversation and and really helpful and hopeful. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much, guys. Keep up the good work.
2: Before we go, there's an article written by uh, Rebecca Solnit in The Guardian called The Impossible Has Already Happened, What Coronavirus Can Teach Us About Hope. And this was brought to my attention by an email chain called Small Victories, and I just want to read an excerpt for people from Rebecca Solnit's piece. The outcome of disasters is not foreordained. It's a conflict, one that takes place while things that were frozen, solid and locked up, have become open and fluid, full of both the best and worst possibilities we are both becalmed and in a state of profound change. Ordinary life before the pandemic was already a catastrophe of desperation and exclusion for too many human beings, an environmental and climate catastrophe, an obscenity of inequality. It is too soon to know what will emerge from this emergency, but not too soon to start looking for chances to help decide it.
1: I appreciate you sharing that. I think it's so important to uh, read and share messages of hope and small victories is is a great email list to subscribe to.
2: Thank you for joining us today and thank you for stepping up and taking action. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved.
1: And we want to hear from you. Let us know how you're staying busy during the coronavirus pandemic. Send us a message about what brings you hope. Tweet to us at Steve and at Mariah underscore Craven or email us at podcast at swingleft.org.
2: Thank you to our friends at Demcast. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on Apple or wherever else you get your pods. Share on social media and use the hashtag HowWeWin2020. Check out our page at swingleft.org slash podcast and of course sign up to volunteer.
1: And join our letter writing party. We really appreciate you being here with us, and we'll be back with more next Wednesday.
2: <laughs>